As we prepare to hear God's word, let's go to our Heavenly Father again in prayer. Father, on this day we come here because you, because you have called us here today. And Lord, we ask that you would speak to each one of us as we have need. Speak to us through the words of Scripture. Speak to us through my words. Help all of us to hear your voice. To hear your voice calling us to grow closer to you. To hear your voice guiding us. To hear your voice showing us that you are, that you are our kind and loving Heavenly Father. Lord, we ask that you bless us through the reading and hearing of your word today. Amen. So we have been in the book of Ruth, the brief book of Ruth, the last few weeks. We're wrapping that up today. Next week, along with celebrating the Lord's Supper, we have one of our missionaries here, Stan Cruz. He's going to be preaching from the book of Acts. And then after that, Pastor Mac will be here, and he and I are going to share in a, in a series on the Psalms of David. So we're going from Ruth to the Lord's Supper and Pentecost briefly, and then on to the Psalms of David for the month of July. Before we read the ending of the book of Ruth and reflect on that today, I want to I wanna retell the story of Ruth just so it's fresh in all of our minds. If you've, if you've been here the last few weeks, this will be a review for you or if you know the story, but it's good for us to remember where we've been. So the book of Ruth starts with Elimelech and his wife Naomi and their two sons moving away from the town of Bethlehem in, in the promised land that God has given to his people and moving away to the fields of Moab because there's a famine in Bethlehem. And they live there for a while. They seem, to, they seem to have only intended to be there for a season, but they settle down for a long time. Naomi and Elimelech's sons marry Moabite woman, and it seems like that's where they're going to be, but then, then all the men in the family die. And Naomi looks at her options and decides to go back to Bethlehem, to the place where she was from, and, and she manages to convince one of her daughters-in-law to stay behind, but Ruth insists on coming with Naomi. She is, she is loyal, she is kind, and she wants to take care of Naomi. So we get back to Bethlehem, and here is Ruth, this outsider, this Moabite woman, and, and here is Naomi, whose name means pleasant, but she is bitter, and her life has been emptied out, and she has nothing left. And that's the end of chapter 1. And then in chapter 2, we see Ruth go out, and, and she, go out to, she goes out to glean leftovers to find just, just a little bit leftover from the harvest so she and Naomi don't starve. And as it turns out, and the subtext there is, as it turns out by God's gracious work, Ruth just happens to glean in the field of Boaz. And Boaz is a wealthy man. He's a man of standing in the community, but he's also a good man. He's a kind man. And he takes Ruth, he takes Ruth under his protection. He tells her to, to glean only in his field, and he tells, tells the men in the field to watch out for her, not to take advantage of her or, or do anything that would be negative, and in fact, even to leave some extra food for her to collect. So Ruth is able to collect enough food for her and Naomi, and and when she tells this to Naomi and shows up with huge bags of food, Naomi realizes that Boaz is actually related to them. And there are provisions in Old Testament law for, for him to take care of these two widows on the edge of society. And so Naomi hatches what is frankly a crazy plan for, for Ruth to go in the middle of the night and basically ask Boaz to marry her. So, so off, off Ruth goes obediently, and she changes up the plan a little bit, and she basically asks Boaz not not just to take care of her, but, but to be the agent of the Lord in fulfilling the Lord's plan. 
And Boaz says yes. And last week, as we saw, he goes through all the, all the right procedures. He does all the right things to make sure that Ruth and Naomi will be taken care of. And what that ultimately means is, in a risky move to himself, Boaz marries Ruth. So that brings us to where we are today as we wrap up the book of Ruth. We're going to read Ruth 4, 13 to 22. The words will be on the screen. You're also invited to grab a Bible from the bench in front of you and keep that open for the sermon. So hear now the word of the Lord. So Boaz took Ruth, and she became his wife. Then he went to her, and the Lord enabled her to conceive, and she gave birth to a son. And the woman said to Naomi, Praise be to the Lord, who this day has not left you without a kinsman redeemer. May he become famous throughout Israel. He will renew your life and sustain you in your old age. For your daughter-in-law, who loves you and who is better to you than seven sons, has given him birth. Then Naomi took the child, laid him in her lap, and cared for him. The woman living there said, Naomi has a son. <coughs> Excuse me. And they named him Obed. He was the father of Jesse, the father of David. This, then, is the family line of Perez. Perez was the father of Hezron, Hezron the father of Ram, Ram the father of Aminadab, Aminadab the father of Nishan, Nishan the father of Salmon, Salmon the father of Boaz, Boaz the father of Obed, Obed the father of Jesse, and Jesse the father of David. This is the word of the Lord. So I've had the experience a few times in life of riding on a combine while the harvest is happening. And, and most modern combines, it seems like, have a window into the back, a window into the hopper. So as you go back and forth across the field, and, and as this amazing machine harvests and harvests and harvests, you can see the, the whatever grain it is, the corn or whatever, filling up and filling up and filling up and filling up. And it's, it's amazing to watch all of, this, all of this harvest just come pouring in and go up and up and up and up. I have a little, little personal paranoia that the glass is going to break and we're going to find ourselves sitting in tons of corn, but, but that's a personal problem. But it is amazing to watch the harvest just fill up. And then sometimes it gets so full that, that the harvest, the combine has to go over and fill up a semi, and semi after semi goes through the field over the course of a day, and, and there is just tons and tons and tons and tons, though the farmer would probably say bushels and bushels and bushels of harvest. And what a blessing it is to experience the fullness of harvest. Now, talking of heavy machinery and trucks, there is, there is this thing with how semi-trucks, how tractor trailers are designed, that they really, they need a load on them. They need something to hold them in place. And, and some people call it driving bobtail. If you see a semi going down the highway by itself, it bounces around and it's horrible to control because there's no... There's no weight. There's no anything to it. And so it's just all over the place. And I think if you drive a garbage truck, you'll have a similar experience that if there isn't a load on it, it's really kind of hard to control. And you're kind of all over the place. And you can't quite get the sort of momentum you can get as if you have, as if you have that, that weight, that cargo in your back. Well, Ruth, the book of Ruth wants us to have a harvest celebration. It wants us to rejoice in seeing how the Lord just, just has this overflowing graciousness in how he provides. And the book of Ruth also wants to give, give some weight to our lives, give us something to, to help hold us in place and help us be able to, to really get momentum in life instead of bouncing all over the place. So this morning, we're going to reflect in, in three different ways on, 
on how the book of Ruth shows us God's plan for us, shows us God's kindness, shows us, shows us what God has to give us. And we're going to start by talking about Boaz and Ruth and the move from, from outsider to insider. And if you think of the story of the book of Ruth, you might just, just naturally think, well, that's a love story between Boaz and Ruth. That's the real heart of the book. And you would be right that this book is a love story between Boaz and Ruth. I think we might actually not be right that that's the heart of the story, and we'll get there. But this is certainly part of the story, that Ruth, who is an outsider, is brought into the family of God. And this woman who starts the book out as a Moabite widow, someone on the outside, someone who doesn't belong, someone who has no connections, by, by the end of the book, she is part of the family. She belongs. She is so woven in that you cannot possibly take her out. And there, is a, there are all kinds, of, all kinds of ways we could remark on this, but, but if we look at the words that, that are used of Ruth, at the beginning, she's a foreigner. If you look in chapter 2, she's described as a foreigner. She's from Moabite. And, and then there's a place where she calls herself just a lowly servant. And then in chapter 3, she, she's upgraded a little bit. She calls herself a maidservant. It's a type of servant who's who's a little bit closer. And now here in chapter 4, she becomes a wife of Boaz. Step by step, this outsider is brought in. And then there is an amazing affirmation here in the text that we read. And, and often, and this is, this is not right, but it is how it is, or it is how it was, in the Old Testament time period, pretty much around the world, boys were valued more than girls, sons were valued more than daughters. And so to say, as this, this community does of Ruth, well, she is worth more to Naomi than seven sons. This outsider, this foreigner, this one who does not belong. Now the whole community has gathered and they have said, look, Naomi, Ruth, this one, she is worth more to you than if you had seven of your own sons. Look what God has done. Look who he has brought in. And look how much she matters. There is this trajectory in Ruth of, of someone who doesn't belong. Someone who should, by all rights, be on the outside being brought in. And then there is this tremendous blessing that, that as the text tells us in chapter 1, Ruth had been married to, to one of Naomi's sons, we think, for a decade. And they'd had no children. But now she's married to Boaz, and, and it seems like really quickly they have, they have Obed. They have a son. Ruth belongs completely. The outsider belongs to the family of God. And that, we can, we can take that line out and have it be true today and true of all of us. The outsider belongs to the family of God. The outsider. The outsider belongs to the family of God. There is, I think, often a temptation in our time and place, and it's getting a little less so, but but to have only the together people, only the people who belong, only the people who know and follow all the rules, only the people whose, whose parents and grandparents belonged in the church. There is, there is this tendency sometimes to think that church is only for the insiders, only for the nice people. And what the book of Ruth shows us is that church, that the Lord, is for the outsiders. In this place, it is those who do not belong who belong. It is the troubled. It is the uncool. 
It is those who don't know where else to go. It is those who we would look at and say, oh, they're from Moab. Not a good thing to say. It is those people who the Lord especially cares for and especially brings closer. And there is, there is a cost that Ruth pays. In the end, she gets everything, but she has to give up everything to get there. And that is the consistent message of the gospel, too, that, that we have to lay down our lives to find them. That we do not become insiders on our own, but we become insiders because the Lord brings us in. And, and there is a real cost to be paid. Last Sunday night, George Tan preached on Mark chapter 10. I invite you to, to read that if, you, if you're interested. And, and in that story, a rich young ruler, an insider, somebody who seems to have everything, comes to Jesus and says, what do I have to do to get eternal life? And what this insider expects is for Jesus to say, oh, you're all good, you've got it. And what Jesus says, basically, is you have to give up everything. You have to give up everything. And this insider goes away sad because he has a lot. And then one of the disciples says to Jesus, well, Jesus, we've given up everything. And Jesus says, well, yes. And everyone who gives up, and I'm paraphrasing, everyone who gives up everything to find the Lord gains even more in the end. And so if you're an outsider today, if you're an outsider today, or if you feel like you're an outsider, then I want, I want you to see yourself in the place of Ruth being brought into the Lord's people. If you are an outsider, you belong here. If you are an outsider, then Jesus came for you. And he wants to bring you into his family and make sure that, that you belong. And if you are an insider, and even if you have, you have been a Christian and your family for generation after generation after generation has been Christians, there was a place somewhere back there where God brought your people in. And so... And so today, even if you don't feel like an outsider, celebrate that the Lord is gracious and he has worked in your family too. So that's Boaz and Ruth. But now let's talk about Obed and Naomi. Obed and Naomi. And, and in some respects, in Naomi's move from famine to fullness, we see what some people argue is the real theme, the real center of this book about Ruth. Now, in Ruth chapter 1, as I mentioned briefly before we read, Ruth, or Naomi feels all emptied out. Naomi's name means pleasant, but she comes back from Moab, and she feels like her life is over, like her, her family, all the family that matters is dead, and, and God is against her, and everything is terrible. And so she says, don't call me Naomi. Don't you dare call me pleasant anymore. Call me Mara. Call me bitter, because the Lord has done terrible things in my life. And she, she doesn't value Ruth. She's not a real pleasant person to be around, and she is angry at the Lord. She wants to give up her name. That's chapter 1. And now we land here in chapter 4. We land here in chapter 4, and Naomi is again full, full of God's grace. Her bitterness is over, and she, she takes her grandson on her knees and and she becomes sort of a, a nanny is kind of the word used there. She, she is one who takes care of her grandson. And, and in this child, she sees that she has life again. In verses 14 and 15, the community expresses a hope that, that Naomi will find comfort and hope and fullness in life again. 
And then they say, the Lord has not left you without a kinsman redeemer, without a guardian redeemer. And, and you might naturally think they're talking about Boaz because Boaz, this wealthy man, has, has taken Ruth and Naomi in. But, but in fact, it seems like the text is talking about this baby. This baby who is lying in Naomi's lap and being a baby, taking naps, pooping and peeing and throwing up and doing all of that. But this is Naomi's redeemer. This is the child who the Lord has given to Naomi to bring her back to him. And the women of the community say at one point, I don't know if you caught this, but it's really important. They say not Ruth has a son, and they say not Naomi has a grandson, but what do they say? They say Naomi has a son. Naomi has a son. This woman who lost all her family, who was empty and bitter, again, she has a family. And again, her life is pleasant and full. And they name this child, and they name this child an interesting name, Obed. And I wonder, we don't do this much in our culture, but I wonder if you've ever looked up what your name is. And if we were in most cultures and most of history, your name would have some kind of meaning behind it that, that would actually matter. Your parents would have picked a name that said something about who you are or who your family is or who you want to be. And, and most of the time, we don't do that. But, but in the Bible, whenever you hear a name, there's generally a meaning behind it. And what Obed means here is servant. Servant. One who serves. And why that name? And who is Obed serving? And I might be reading a little bit much into this, but the commentators agree with me, so at least there's, there's other people on this boat. And one meaning of that is this child was born to serve Naomi. This child was born to protect and care for and build up the fortunes of Naomi. Naomi has a son. But we think that Obed was short for Obadiah. And Obadiah means servant of the Lord. So it seems like what the narrator is telling us here by by giving us some details and letting us figure out the rest, is saying that the Lord is providing. The Lord is providing through this child, for this woman who felt like everything was over for her and like it was finished, the Lord sends a servant born as a baby to care for her. This is how the Lord cares for his people. And I suspect... I don't quite know, but I'm pretty close to know that there is someone here today who feels bitter and emptied out. There is someone here today who is with Naomi in chapter 1 and says, my life is over, there is nothing for me to do, and God is so, so, so I can't even say he's against me. Perhaps that's where you've been. Perhaps that's where you are, and you come to God and you've got clenched fists and you just don't even know what to say anymore. God welcomes even you. God welcomes even those of us who come to him angry and bitter and empty. And we'll see in some of the psalms that we reflect on in the next few weeks that even when God's people come to him shaking their fists and just, just so mad we can hardly even talk to him, the Lord is still gracious and compassionate. He is still kind to us and he still brings us in. If you are in a time of famine in your life, then I invite you not to reject the Lord, not to turn away from Him, not to let the story end with bitterness and emptiness, but to come to the Lord and to see what kind of harvest He might have in your life. The Lord Jesus Christ, the, 
our Heavenly Father, the, the Holy Spirit, is our only hope of having a truly full life now and forever. And so even if you come today bitter and empty, I invite you to turn to the Lord again and to find in Him the fullness that you need. Now we have one more stop on this journey today, and we're going to talk about Jesus and us. We've talked about Boaz and Ruth, Obed and Naomi, and now Jesus and us. And this book, this book is incredibly deep and multi-layered, and it also, it also points beyond itself. And these last few verses that we read for today, and that we're going to, by the way, reflect on a little bit tonight, so come back at six for more Ruth and a little bit of David too. But at the end of this book, almost out of nowhere, almost out of nowhere, we find out who Obed is. We find out who Ruth is. Because there's this genealogy that goes on a little bit, and there's some names that aren't real familiar that we actually don't know anything about. And then where does the book of Ruth land? With David. Ruth points on to David. And who is David? David is one of the high points of the Old Testament. David is the Lord's king. David is the beloved of the Lord. David is the one who God sends and who who gets about as close as we see in the whole Old Testament to God's kingdom coming into being on this planet. And then if we, if we turn to the New Testament, Matthew 1, the very beginning of the New Testament, we see a, a genealogy that picks up on Ruth here and that keeps the story going on from David to Jesus. And who is Jesus? Who is Jesus? Jesus is this servant of the Lord. Jesus is this child sent by God. Jesus is this one who came to a human race, broken and decrepit, bitter and empty, and who gave us reason for hope. Ruth here is, is shooting an arrow forward to King David, but also, also pointing us forward to Jesus and inviting all of us to see how when, when we're in Naomi's place, there is a child who is born for us. There is a king who came to bring us into God's family. And today, I, I invite you to follow that arrow in your own life, to move from where you are, if you are bitter and empty, to move closer to the Lord, to see how he provides for you. I want to talk about this a couple different ways. I want to talk about it in particular on Father's Day for those of us for those of us whose fathers were a disappointment or a plague on our lives. You know, our parents are tremendously important in setting us on the way in our lives. And, and if we didn't have a good father, if we had a father who really messed up and messed up us, messed us up, then, then it's kind of like we're a truck driving bobtail. We're all over the place. We're hard to control. Things, things are just always kind of empty and you just can't ever quite get down the road how you want to go. That is, some of us, many of us, our earthly fathers so often let us down. And so even as we celebrate on Father's Day, there is the reality that, that we have much not to celebrate in our earthly families. And for those of us who are fathers, especially if we've been at it for a while, we might look back and say, boy, did I, boy, did I mess up. Boy, I was the one who did that, and this is how my kids are, and Oh, man. Oh, man. What did I do? Well, if that's where you are today, then, 
then Ruth is an invitation to find a place in the family of God, to find a heavenly Father who does not let us down, who does not mess us up, who cares for us so very much. And so if you're feeling a little, a little like you're just bouncing down the road of life, a little like your life is emptied out, a little like it just ah, isn't working, turn to the Heavenly Father, and He will make things right. Now, there is another side to this story, too. And it may, I mean, I hope it speaks to more of us today, because it, it speaks to those of us who are in a good place. Those of us maybe who can rejoice in our earthly fathers and how they, how they shaped us, how they shaped our faith, how they shaped everything about us, and we can look back and say, that is wonderful. But even more for those of us who have found our place in the family of God and who can look at God as our heavenly Father and say, look at the harvest. Look at how God has provided for me. Look at, look at all the gifts that He gives me, and He gives me gift upon gift upon gift upon gift upon gift. What, what could I ever do to be grateful enough? Well, then Ruth invites you today simply to be grateful. In the, the pattern of God's people, in the history of God's people, Ruth is often read at Pentecost, at a harvest festival, at a time when God's people gather and say, yes, life is often hard. Yes, we might often feel emptied out and bitter, but look at what the Lord does. Look at what the Lord does for Ruth. Look at what the Lord does for Naomi. Look at what the Lord does for all of us. And so today, if you are in pleasant pastures and if you are experiencing a full harvest, then I invite you to look at what the Lord has done and to give thanks to Him. If you are at a place that you are, that you are emptied out, turn to the Lord and He provides. If you are at a place where life is full and the harvest is plentiful, then give thanks to God who gives us all good things. Let's pray. Father, as we do every week, we have come here from many different places. And that's true literally as we all get up and we gather here from our homes and condos and apartments and wherever, but it's also, it's also true on every level of our being. That some of us are coming here and we're living out Ruth 1 and all the bitterness and emptiness and hopelessness. And some of us have come and we are we are living out Ruth 2 where we set out just to survive and we are finding that maybe there is hope for more. Maybe there is hope for more. Or we're living out Ruth 3 where we're in the middle of, middle of trying to figure things out and maybe not getting it right, but we have a sense that you will provide. And Lord, some of us are here and we are in Ruth 4 and the harvest is plentiful and life is abundant and so we are grateful. Lord, we ask that wherever wherever we are coming from, help us to find our way home. Help us to truly understand and to understand not just with our heads, but on every level of our being that you are our kind and loving, gracious and compassionate Heavenly Father. And Lord, give each of us the courage, the clarity, the grace, the wisdom that we need to respond well to you. Speak to us and make it clear to us how we can respond on this very day, on this Father's Day, on this Lord's Day. And we pray this in your name. Amen.